0: check check one two blah 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 check check one two I mean it should sound just the same as it does (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true we don't need to do the check what is up everybody what what this is uh,
1: half of your favorite local cinema podcast duo, Josiah. We're having some uh, technical difficulties to start the evening. I think this is our, what, third intro?
0: Yeah, we lost our first few minutes, but we are not defeated. Right, but the podcast is clearly going to be
1: lesser quality because, I mean, that was gold that we'll never get back, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, that was a make or break segment. Never do that again. <laughs> it was a
0: once-in-a-lifetime thing.
1: But here we are. We're not, we're not going to give up because all you fine people out there that listen, you need to know what we're drinking. That's right. And what are you drinking, Jonathan?
0: I have a crisp, cold can of Mother's Oktoberfest in my hand, and it is quite good.
1: Yeah. Tis the season, right? Tis the season. (laughs) I am drinking also an Oktoberfest, although it's called Mayhem Martzen from Springfield Brewing Company. It is fantastic. And if you look at the label, Jonathan, it won gold at the World Beer Cup in 2014. (laughs) But either way, it's a good beer. If you get a chance to check it out, it's uh, at Springfield Brewing Company.
0: Is this the first day of October? It is. Okay. Finally made it. <laughs> best month of
1: the year. And I already feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, it's going to be over soon. Yeah. Yeah. It goes too fast. can't even enjoy it. It's like the first day. We still have the rest of the month, and I'm still thinking like, oh, man,
0: October's almost done. Yeah, so many scary movies to watch. Ugh. Yeah, don't even get started. So many nice fall walks to go on. Are there any big horror movies that are coming out this month that you can think of? There's a movie called Smile that just came Yeah. Out. It's, it's actually gotten pretty good reviews. Yeah, I do want to see it. I mean, there have been some good horror movies of late. Yeah. I saw Barbarian. I didn't want to that see that. That was a lot I of fun. I haven't seen that yet. And then Pearl was also a lot of fun. Pearl was good. Wait, no, I haven't seen Pearl. I saw the other one. You saw X. X. Pearl is, has a different tone. It's sort of a demented comedy.
1: X had some humorous moments even to it. One of the actresses was singing Landslide. <laughs> What's Landslide? I'm probably not going to sing it <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a famous old country song. I'm afraid of changing because i built my life around you. She's playing that and then there's like this montage of everybody. Pearl's like just sitting in her bed looking around. And I don't know, it just, it felt very surreal and kind of comedic the way it was presented. I like T. West. I really do. He's an interesting director. I adore The Innkeepers.
0: House of the Devil. I'm a fan. And then now he's doing X and Pearl. And Maxine, a third film. Nice. Yeah, hopefully there are some nice surprises in store for this next month as far as horror movies go. So Jonathan, what are we getting into tonight? we've already covered what we're drinking. So I guess we're done. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about Sofia Coppola. Who's that? Oh, just Sophia Coppola is one of America's foremost female filmmakers. She has been at it for over a couple decades now. She is the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. She was raised on movie sets.
1: Yeah, and she has a pretty extensive filmography. The Virgin Suicides
0: being her first came out in 99. Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, Marie Antoinette, Somewhere, Bling Ring, The Beguiled, and On the Rocks. She's interesting
1: to me, not only because her, her work, which I very much enjoy, is very signature and has its own style but the fact that she is Francis Ford Coppola's daughter and has been able to step out of that shadow yeah like that that's impressive pretty to me remarkable because he's I mean those films just the two alone that we talked we mentioned Godfather and Apocalypse Now I mean those are giants mm-hmm. of, of film history and to be able to like have the Coppola name but forge your
0: own identity and your own brilliant frankly career yeah impressive she has her own place in film history yeah and she pretty much did right from the the beginning. Virgin Suicides and then Lost in Translation, she immediately cemented herself as significant.
1: Yes. And, and what I've enjoyed about preparing for this episode, I think when we were hashing out ideas for this upcoming season that we're doing now, like I had yeah. a, a desire to talk about Sofia Coppola, but then I was like, shit, I love Lost in Translation and I know, I think I like the Virgin Suicides, but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode, it made me sit down and watch a lot of her movies. And it's just been a revelation. I've really enjoyed seeing her style, this consistency style in these films, Mm -hmm. but also seeing her evolve in the themes while being similar, growing with her. And also, Kirsten Dunst in her films has kind of been a revelation. She's fantastic. But it's just been nice to watch films through the female lens. As we'll probably see pop up time and time again, these films are very much focused on the female experience, girls growing up, coming of age. But it is interesting because they're not exactly given space to be who they are. The movies focus on the female protagonists, and you get to see kind of some of the work into their lives, but it's, there's always all these expectations being thrown on them. Roger Ebert, I think, said it excellently, but he basically said these girls in Sofia Coppola's films grow up in a world where everybody sees them, but nobody really knows how to value them. And I think that's spot on. And so I can't help but think that that was somewhat uh, Sofia Coppola's experience mm-hmm. growing up on, like you said, film sets around big personalities and famous men. <laughs> It'd be crazy to think that she wouldn't feel that way.
0: I mean, I certainly am inferring a lot. Her movies are not lot normally. There's a lot of waiting around in her films. There's a lot of directionlessness. Mm-hmm. She makes movies about affluent people, young people. And movies about ennui and privilege. Being privileged, feeling disconnected, feeling aimless. Which is something that, you know, you don't have to be privileged to relate to. <laughs> right. And just
1: stylistically, these films aren't overly cinematic. They're pretty damn gentle and quiet. They're not loud or boisterous. But then, Marie Antoinette does pop off the screen. But overall, it is about quiet moments. You just feel like you're an observer of slices of life. You're getting to kind of hang out and follow these characters around. So I just thought that was interesting to see. What do you say we dive into some of the actual films? Let's do it. The Virgin Suicides. It's quite the title. Yeah, like. it certainly pulls you in. <laughs> but it's based off a novel, and it follows the Lisbon sisters. There's five of them, and it's a coming-of-age story of sorts. The view is actually, it's about the sisters, but it's pretty much told through the point of view of the young boys in the neighborhood who have crushes on, on them and kind of obsess over them. Again, these girls have lives and inner lives and they're seen but they're not really valued or understood as the virgin suicides in a nutshell. But they have overbearing parents that won't let them go out and, and be teenagers and experience the world. The lack of freedom ultimately lead to tragedy.
0: It's a great book. It's a great
1: book. I've, I've not read it. It's kind of an important film with my friend Mike and I. We were discovering independent cinema at the time. That's another reason like Donnie Darko is so near and dear to me. It's one of those we kind of stumbled on. But I hadn't seen it since 2000. I just had really fond memories of it because I remember especially, I don't know how old I would have been, teenager Film very much impressed on me. But then I watched it again recently and gosh, it's a good debut. It is melancholic, haunting. Yeah. uh, But it it is also kind of brimming with youthful energy. There's a lot of scenes that are kind of playful and maybe Sophie Coppola that are most experimental. Haunting is the word for it. It very much has the nostalgic summer feel
0: to it, but there's a lot of sadness and sorrow and dread almost bubbling below the surface. The period piece of it all, when you're looking back in time, everything has such an aura of significance and mystery. Knowing what befalls the Lisbon sisters, everything takes on such significance. What was going on behind those closed doors? They'll never know. That's the crazy thing about that film, is it's very much the Lisbon sisters' story. But But they don't get to
1: tell it. They don't tell it. All the different angles are put upon them. You know, As the narration's going on, you get glimpses of the sisters' home life. It's usually them, like, being sad or wasting away stuck in their room. Kirsten Dunst's character, she falls in love with a boy who ultimately just ends up sleeping with her and never talking to her again. I remember they interview him when he's older and he's like I don't even know why I did that I just I did you do get some glimpses of how that made her feel but ultimately it's told by the men it's the men that didn't really even know him. the boys idealized them they had right. ideas about them they communicate with them but they didn't really know him.
0: yeah that's a great point
1: the overbearing parents actually let the girls go to um, one of the dances at the school and then Kristen Dunce breaks curfew and stays out all night with that guy and then the parents freak out and then ultimately like taking them out of school and keep them under house arrest essentially which then leads to them um, not seeing any other way out than to take their lives. As with most Sofia Coppola films, um, it doesn't relish in the violence, the, the macabre. It's more implied. For instance, when one of the girls is hung, you know, you just see like a hand or you see the running car in the garage. It's not sensationalizing. It's just very matter-of-fact about it. At The very beginning, the doctor basically says, you're too young to be this sad. And she says, well, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. That's the beginning of the film. It sets the whole tone <laughs> for yeah. the film. It's like, damn, okay, fair.
0: It never explicitly tells you why they make these decisions. It's not like they talk about it or plan it or anything.
1: And the crazy thing is, is the boys who are basically infatuated with these girls, uh, they've been communicating with them via mail, phone calls. And so they ultimately find the girls because the girls tell them to come meet them. And in their mind, there's even like this fantasy that they have where they're all in the car, driving down the highway, carefree. In their mind, like they're going to meet up with the girls and drive off into the sunset when really they were heading over there to bear witness to the decision. Just a very uh, tragic <laughs> tragic turn of events. Virgin Suicides, great film. Great film. <laughs> I mean, it's a hell of a debut. I read an article basically saying like Sofia Coppola's first film came out fully formed. Yeah, or maybe, absolutely. And you alluded to that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah.
0: yeah, she came out of the gate as a fully formed stylist. Perhaps that article I read was just you telling me that. yeah so a couple years later after virgin suicides we get lost in translation we don't have to go into it in depth because we've covered this film before on the podcast probably her most well-known film i would say so say yeah it takes place in japan stars bill murray and scarlett johansson as americans who happen to be staying in this Hotel and find each other and connect and share. You know, kind of ease each other's loneliness for a few days.
1: Yeah, and I must say that's probably still my favorite Sofia Coppola film. And that's no slight to the others because I, I just I really really like Lost in Translation. And I adore that film.
0: Lost in Translation has something special, and and it might be Bill Murray. I mean. He definitely brings a charisma and a warmth and a ryaness. Charlotte Johansson, too. Both of them, like, have such presence. They're such an unlikely couple. And I say couple, but the nature of their relationship is unclear. It's not sexual. But there's tension. There is romantic tension to some degree. They're two people seeing each other and connecting. And it's really, it's beautifully done.
1: Beautiful. It still does deal with... People trying to find themselves and feeling isolated. And even though there might be a little bit more energy, a few more memorable scenes than the others, there still are a lot of like seemingly disparate, random segments that are woven together to make a film, uh, yeah. which is kind of her style. But loss in Translation of all her films just makes me ache. It just captures so beautifully the utter miracle and tragedy of human beings come in and out of your life who touch you and alter you and then they're gone. And you're so grateful for the time you had and you're so sad that it ended. (laughs) It's it's so complicated. And I just think that film tackles that really, really well.
0: It ends in just the right way. They have to go their separate ways. As much as they hate to lose this Thing that they have together there's no exporting it this was the only context in which it could have happened yeah they both have to go back to their lives
1: and i just i think this film at least for me will always be relevant that's just a part of life right relationships that could only exist in a certain time and place they don't even necessarily have to be romantic you could be mourning the loss of friendships family and so i i think with every subsequent relationship that is like that that film's gonna speak to you still. Great film, go watch it. <laughs> Great film, go watch it. <laughs> Maybe we need a new catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, dude, that, no one's ever done that. It's so cool. So next, chron- going chronologically, we're running into Marie Antoinette. And I must admit, I was not looking forward to watching this movie, Aww. this film, because I didn't know anything about it. I just saw a period piece with big costumes. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's not really my cup of tea uh-huh. usually. But I really liked Marie Antoinette. Uh-huh. I loved the youthful energy to it, the completely modern soundtrack, the shopping montages. I just loved the youthful American sensibilities being transported right yes. into 1700s France.
0: Right. I love all the color in it, the opulence. It's got great style. Schwarzenegger, Jason, Jason Schwartzman is in it, and yeah. he's perfect. It's, he's great. So he's the young king, right? Yes that Kirsten Dunst has to marry, and he has no interest in her sexually. He's always hunting. Does it show that he's homosexual, or is that only... No,
1: and I'm not even sure that's the case. It's alluded to a little bit in like Whispers at the Court. The impression I got when watching it is that he was basically like a kid. He still wanted to do kid things. He just happened to be royalty. But as the film progresses,
0: he does come to love Marie Antoinette and admire her. There are some scenes where there are, like, a bunch of people in their bedroom. They're preparing to go to bed together for the first time. Yes. And the yep. whole court is in their room. They don't watch them uh, They don't have watch sex. them have sex. They basically... the Yes, it's full of people from the court
1: getting them prepared to have sex.
0: It's <laughs> a weird thing where, like, as royalty, they have all of these people... Waiting on them hand and foot, but they also have no freedom, right? And are so beholden to the traditions of the court, they just feel like prisoners or zoo animals at yeah. times, especially Marie Antoinette. In the morning,
1: I remember there's a scene that was quite humorous. The morning after their wedding, she wakes up alone, they draw back the curtains, and there's like 40 people in the, in the bedroom <laughs> who are. Getting her ready. So they take off her nightgown, and she's sitting there naked, like, covered up and shivering. And someone's about to put the dress on her, but somebody else with, like, higher status comes in. And so the lady who's announcing everything's like, oh, the Duchess of So-and-So is here. It's not her honor to put today's oh, garments on. Yeah. But then another person shows up. and then another. So she's sitting there, like, shivering.
0: Because <laughs> she can't do anything for yeah. herself. Right.
1: And then when they finally put her day gown on, she says, this is ridiculous. And the lady says, this is Versailles. <laughs> so... And again, I love Kirsten Dunst in this film. She plays it so well. She's just like a a kid who has this whole empire at her fingertips. She's trying her best, actually, and so the film portrays. She's trying to do everything right, while also just being a teenager that was married off at 14 and into a foreign land.
0: It's a really interesting story for Sophia to tackle. Marie Antoinette is a hated figure yes. in history. Yes. She's despised as, as an example of royalty who has no concerns for the people and who only cared about herself. So it's really interesting for her to present Marie as a tragic figure. Yeah, some of the major criticisms
1: of the film at the time it came out, which of course were by old white men, were that the film did not do justice to the political upheaval and the suffering of people and the monster that Marie Antoinette was. And so that was that was some of the backlash. From what I understand, the film was based off a book that was like a historical, and basically did present Marie Antoinette as just a fucking kid Uh who was doing her part that she was raised to do and had no clue about what was going on. The monarchy certainly would probably have been responsible for or the many having not enough. But there's no way it was like Marie Antoinette's fault.
0: Yeah, I don't know that much about it, but the extravagance of the court existed before her. Of course she's out of touch with the common person. Of course
1: she doesn't know how bad it is for the average person in the empire. How could she? She was whisked from a royal family in Austria to a royal family in France, and just lived in that gilded bubble and cage her whole life. But yeah, I think the look of the film is fantastic, and... It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. (laughs) About Marie Antoinette. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was very happy to be so wrong about that film. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: that one has grown in my estimation.
1: The opening scene is incredible. It's this upbeat rock song, and it's a bunch of pink letters doing the cast, you know? Uh-huh. And then it stops, and you just see her lounging back, and someone's putting her shoes on for her. Or t- no, they're taking them off and like, massaging her feet. And she just looks at the camera and smirks. And <laughs> then it goes back to rock music. It's, I don't know, it's
0: great. <laughs> Yeah, when I rewatched it, I I realized, oh, this movie is very funny. Yeah, people just didn't know how to take this film back. Yeah. It's
1: since kind of gained a cult following, but nobody knew how to take it.
0: That's a really cool thing about, I guess, just art in general, but like films, once they're made, they're made. And so a movie like this comes out, maybe it gets a wave of negative criticism, right? Sure. The movie doesn't change, though. It is now an object in the world that resists criticism. It doesn't change if people don't like it. Right. However many years later Marie Antoinette is still a film that you can go to and see and that initial wave of negative criticism often passes. Other people come along and they see it for what it is mm. and reassessments happen and, and that's really cool to me.
1: And a film could be ahead of its time. You know a generation later might be ready for it and appreciate it. It's all about expectations. Certainly. I couldn't help but think I don't have no idea how this film is marketed but if you hear oh a film about Marie Antoinette you see pictures or the trailer and there's huge set pieces with the court, costumes. A lot of people might be attracted to that that like those very serious period dramas. Be like a, a Little Women or an English Patient or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you get Marie Antoinette.
0: You get those modern pop songs and you think,
1: this is a joke. I, I don't think it was completely negatively received. But I do think it was mixed. Colossal film, go consume it. Is that a little better? <laughs>
0: We'll keep thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> we got the rest of the episode to figure it out. What's next? Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I watched that today. I would say maybe it's a bit of a departure because it's the main character is a man. I mean, maybe that's where it ends. The themes of loneliness and ennui with an affluence is, are certainly present. The emptiness of celebrity life. Marie Antoinette, she would buy stuff, right, to kind of fill that void. And somewhere, this guy's constantly, uses sex as mm-hmm. his distraction.
0: It's been a while since you've seen it. Do you, what do you remember about Somewhere? Actor Steven Dorff plays Johnny Marco. And he's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know a whole lot about Stephen Dorff. I know he's in a lot of direct-to-video yeah. movies. But he's been in some good stuff, too, and I feel like he's a good performer.
1: Yeah, I recognize the name. So,
0: but anyway, but I couldn't remember where I where I'd seen him before. Yeah, he plays a famous movie star. Yes. Mm-hmm. and uh, he's got money. He's got fame. He doesn't know what to do with himself. But he is saved, perhaps, by his daughter, perhaps, who. I don't know the circumstances, but he has to watch his daughter for a while. That's what I remember. This one was much quieter, I think, than the other
1: entries we've talked about. There's a lot of aimlessness to the film, but I think it's intentional for sure. So within the first five minutes, the the main character, Johnny Marco, falls and breaks his arm. We see he's just like sitting in bed as there's like two strippers he hired doing a routine in front of him. They're like twins and they're dancing to There Goes My Hero by the Foo Fighters. And he's like struggling to stay awake it was <laughs> such a bizarre scene but i think it illustrated really well like this guy is sad and bored <laughs> yeah it didn't even feel that sensual even though it was like a striptease dance it yeah. just it felt awkward the whole mm-hmm. thing <laughs> and so i think sophia Coppola got to sneak in a little bit of humor in there as she does but yeah there's a lot of scenes like that that my only criticism of that film is like we get it okay he's bored and lonely and empty. He can have anything he wants, and he does, and he's still empty. I get it. <laughs> so, but then when um, Al Fanning his daughter Chloe shows up, the film really kind of finds its footing. I think there's this unexpected joy that comes from him. It's kind of the only time you ever see it in the film. But throughout it all, this character is actually pretty likable. Strangely enough, <laughs> I guess he's just like he's authentic. He's just who he is. Uh-huh. Makes no apologies for it. But he goes through life like, here's who I am, and here's what I have, and I'm gonna maybe use it. But he's like really nice to everybody. He's always very courteous (laughs) You never get the sense like he feels like a big time star. You know? Uh I found him to be very likable. But then the dynamic between him and his daughter made him even more likable. Even though he's probably not a great father. But he genuinely enjoys her company. It's just interesting.
0: And how does this movie end?
1: He's driving his daughter to camp. But on the way there she's crying. Because she's basically like I don't know when mom's coming back and you're never around. And so he actually doesn't take her to camp that day. But they end up going to Vegas and playing craps. Uh huh. (laughs) And then he hires a helicopter to fly him out of Vegas when she's leaving he like yells her name and she looks out the window and helicopter's going he says and this is a kind of doofy dopey look on his face that just kind of breaks my heart he's like i'm sorry i wasn't around Hmm. and she doesn't even hear him because the helicopter and she
0: drives off in my mind all of her movies are like 90 minutes but this one might be a little longer it was 90 minutes but it certainly felt longer okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i I mean i don't know what else to say about somewhere i think it's uh it's a good film maybe maybe a little too slow for its own good at times
0: Uh But very distinctly, uh, Sofia Coppola film for I, sure. I remember it did win the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is their top prize. And apparently, the Venice Film Festival is the festival that super rich people go to. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, they could all, all identify it. it yeah. <laughs> and speaking of
1: festivals, I didn't read that Sofia Coppola was only the second woman to win Best Director at, at Cannes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. I'm sure all the people at Venice were, like, identifying with Johnny Ma- Marco yeah.
0: <laughs> pretty significantly. After somewhere is the woman and I just watched this film for the first time. what do you think? Watched it last night. I enjoyed it. I think that it's maybe my least favorite. I would agree with that. It's um. It feels slight. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that she made this film because it's about... Being a teenager and being obsessed with celebrity culture, it's based on a true story of these teenagers in Southern California who start burglarizing celebrities' homes. They realize that they can figure out when these people are going to be gone because of the tabloids, the press will say, oh, this person is shooting such and such in this state or whatever. They'll go to these homes and oftentimes the doors are just left unlocked. It seems wild to me that they wouldn't lock their palaces. So they end up stealing like three million dollars worth of purses clothing and whatever else before they get caught. I think it works well enough. I just feel like nothing happens in this movie. And that's different than somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) How? The characters don't really change much. The main character the boy, I don't remember what his name is. Yes, he's interesting. He's obviously remorseful, but for Emma Watson's character, this is just a way for her to be on TV. She welcomes the fame that comes with her indictment. I mean the movie is basically them just breaking into some houses and stealing some stuff and then getting caught. And so it just felt a little slight to me. There's stuff there to think about, and it's an interesting reflection on our culture. I also think that there's a place in movies, in film, to tell quote-unquote true stories. But I also think if these are the things you want to explore in a film, I don't think you should necessarily feel confined to the truth. Or to reality, she could have made a movie about this sort of thing and then prioritize the themes, basically, and added plot points or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point where there's really not much a character arc. I would agree that it's probably the weakest entry of all of uh-huh. all the films you discussed tonight. And I, maybe that's what separates somewhere from the bling ring, right? Because nothing happens in somewhere. Nothing. Yeah. But there is a change, uh, maybe a small one, but there is a change in Johnny Marco at the end, and so there is a journey that happened,
0: and there's a meaningful relationship there. Yeah, and the, so these kids don't care about anything.
1: Yeah, I, I just thought with the subject matter, the story being so interesting, and Sofia Coppola just being such a capable filmmaker, I just expected I expected more from it. For whatever reason, her formula didn't come off as strong as it normally does uh, because it's not really different than any of other films stylistically. It's very much still just a bunch of vignettes that kind of come together and make a film. And maybe the most striking thing about it is, and maybe perhaps the point of the whole film is like these kids, yes, they're also, they're doing this for fame, but it never even crosses their mind either. then what they're doing is really that big a deal or wrong. I mean, they're afraid of getting caught, but they almost feel entitled to it. Uh, I think it certainly speaks to privilege. Me? No. No way. I'm not going to prison or I'm not going to get arrested. I have ownership of these people.
0: It is relatable in that it made me think about being a teenager and getting roped into really stupid things by friends. Like in this movie, the main character befriends... This girl at his new school, and she's like, "Hey, let's go check these cars, see if any of them are." On top. Yeah. Hey, let's go like break into these houses. He's always a little trepidatious. Once they get caught, he is immediately like, "Yeah, I knew this was wrong. Like, I didn't feel good about this." He basically just needed a wake up call. Whereas, do you know the character I'm talking about? I don't remember yes. her name. Yeah, she's basically the head of the bling ring. But yeah, she yeah. she needed to go to jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> because she she felt so impervious to any consequences. I think
1: the film is maybe interested in that, that these kids and maybe the public in general do feel like they're entitled to those items from the famous, right? The, the rich and the famous, um, there are objects. There are toys, so to speak. There are escape. And so... It's a natural extension that you might uh, feel like you're entitled to some of the stuff they have if you're a teenager.
0: All these kids want to be when they grow up is they want to be like Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton. Yeah. They just want to have that lifestyle. That's all they care about. So it's not about how you get there. It's not about pursuing something with your life or finding a job that is meaningful to you. It's just like, I want all the nice shit. (laughs) Yeah. I want a big house and I want people to like want to be me. Yeah. And it is fascinating when they are in, like, Paris Hilton's home because it's so detailed. I wanted to know if any of that was accurate. Are they recreating things that they know to be the case? Like, there's probably, like, walkthroughs of Paris Hilton's house on MTV or something. But she's got, like, pillows with her face on it (laughs) in her house. I have and to believe she, that's and then a movie. she has walls of pictures of herself in like <laughs> expensive frames. Yeah. She just has this huge palace and it's full of stuff. A room of shoes, a room of coats. Honestly, when I see that I think, oh my god, I could never have so much shit. How like how, would, like, how empty. It would drive me crazy. Yeah. yeah. I could never live in a house that size. That yeah. would drive me crazy. It is wild. It's kind of a trip watching
1: it to remember kind of that era. It's like, oh, yeah, Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan were huge. What happened? (laughs) It's a period piece, right?
0: It really is. I mean, the tabloid culture was different then. The internet has changed things, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it, it is
1: interesting, too, just the qualities and the physical characteristics of, like, what young people value in their celebrities, right? The aspirational figure an ideal woman at the time it's just interesting how that changes really they're just products of the culture we valued what they had so i don't know what it would be now because i'm out of touch i'm pretty sure it's not
0: that yeah (laughs) it's zendaya and timothy chalamet yeah
1: taylor swift's still popular right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so sophia coppola has a few other films that admittedly i haven't seen but I'm, i'm excited to check out beguiled and the most recent one with Bill Murray and uh, yeah, The Beguiled and On the Rocks. Yeah, I want to see both those, and I will watch them now. And I've watched other films.
0: On the Rocks is interesting. I think my favorite are those first three: Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, Marie Antoinette. Yeah,
1: I would agree. I found somewhere to be a good film and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I think she's reached a status for me where if her name's attached to it, I'll probably watch
0: it. It's rare for me to look at a director's filmography and realize, oh, wait, I've seen all their films. Yeah. And that was almost the case here. I only had to watch The Bling Ring for this episode. It was kind of surprising to me, though, that I made a point to see her films as they came out. Yeah.
1: But it's kind of fun because we're at a point you know, we're getting a little older. I've been watching her films most of my life now. Uh So it's kind of fun to track that. Yeah. You know, see her progress and see how these films have affected me at different times in my life. It's kind of cool. Um, And just real quick, are you familiar with Paolo Alto? It's a film by Gia Coppola. It's her sister.
0: Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah. So for the longest time when we were talking about this, I kept thinking, oh, we also need to talk about Paolo Alto because I thought it was Sofia Coppola's film. Oh, yeah. They're very similar. Um and if if you like her work I think you'll like Palo Alto. Okay. It's about um disaffected teenagers coming of age, trying to find themselves in this affluent suburb and of course they all make like unhealthy choices and some calamity ensues. It's good. It's kinda of dreamy, kinda of sad. I really liked it. Cool. So but I, just, I was like I could have sworn that was a Sophia Coppola film. Interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it runs in the family. Yeah.
1: But I, I think we've um I think we've done a relatively good job giving you guys an overview of Sofia Coppola's uh, what Jonathan I would consider to be best films. So hopefully we've inspired you guys to go, go check out our films if you
0: haven't already. It's never too late to get on the Sofia Coppola train. That's right. I hope you all have enjoyed um, this overview and exploration
1: of Sofia Coppola's career and filmography. She's a fantastic filmmaker with a um, very distinct style. Her films always make me kind of pause, make, make me slow down a little bit, contemplate my life and what I prioritize and whether or not I contribute to the uh, invisibility of young women.
0: One thing I want to say is um, I really appreciate that Sofia Coppola, as someone who grew up the daughter of a famous filmmaker and she is telling stories from her perspective and she's not apologetic about that it's like that's who she is this is what she has to work with and there's so much to relate to in her movies even if i have completely different experience and have never been part of the upper class i really do
1: experience privilege yes that's
0: true so you can relate in that way i can relate to a lot of things in these films i just appreciate that she seems to know herself and she understands where she comes from but she's not apologizing about it yeah telling stories that matter to her and when you do that it's going to resonate with other people yeah so
1: her voice certainly comes through well What do you say, Jonathan? It's October 1st. Do you want to wrap this up and go outside and cry? (laughs) (laughs) Let's
0: put on some emo music. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'll do that anytime, anywhere. This has been another episode of Exploring Cinema. I'm Jonathan. And after a side, you all keep exploring. Yes, indeed.